The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 13, powered by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, every day, uh, you may have heard, is a good day to be alive. <laughs> of course... Uh, no, today was a fun day for me. I've moved. I'm back in Chicago now, back in a different time zone. I owe Mike an apology because I forgot that I was in a different time zone, so I had to adjust for uh, scheduling the call. Back in Chicago, getting ready for the uh, my final school year to start, man, senior. A lot of perspective, which is fun. I will say, though, I learned this today. I had no idea that you were a uh, yellow-bellied, cowardly scallywag. Oh, why is that, Ben? You aren't doing the Bleeding Green Nation weekly pick Oh, no. No, dude. I told you. That's yeah. a whole different department. That's a whole I different... I was di- so psyched to stunt on you because <laughs> I am comfortably in the lead right now. And by comfortably, I mean by one game because we've only really played two weeks. So, like, yeah. you know, there's only so much one can do. Um, and I was like, oh, I got to rag on Mike for this uh, on the podcast. And I went to open the the cumulative results in the first two weeks. And I can't find Mike's name because Mike's not picking NFL games. Because Mike's a bum. So I appreciate how you didn't even step into the ring because you knew the 2017 defending champion uh, would not have taken oh. any mercy on you in his uh, in his repeat year. Listen, Ben, you're you're so smart. You're so good at what you do that I need to limit my exposure to taking L's to you. However, I can. And we talk all the time. So there's a lot of exposure there. And like I said, betting is like a whole different department. Like we can make predictions, but that's not really my mm-hmm. bag. If it were, I probably wouldn't be. If I was really good at predictions and betting, I probably wouldn't be doing this. I'd be making thousands of dollars betting every week. 
So there we are with that. I mean, the last time we bet, the way I remember it was the draft. Yeah, you wiped the floor with me. So I'm holding that over you. Yeah, That's you've the got last one. Time we bet. You've got that one that you're just going to lean on forever. Shout out, exactly. uh, shout out James. I'm, I don't know how to pronounce James' last name. James Keen, James Keena, whatever, however it's pronounced, who went 12 and 3 in week two, uh, but went 6 and 9 in week one. <laughs> so he's like 18 and 12, like right in the thick of things, with the most interesting splits as far as picking the games. He's a Nick Foles. Yeah, no, exactly. He's up and down. But anyway, I think we can safely say I'm a better game picker than you are by default. And then that's that's my stunt for the day. 100% disagree. I'm going to cash in that, that draft bet soon enough. You get chirpy. Yeah, that'll be fun. Look, we got a lot to talk about today. At the end of the show, just to let you know right off, right off the top, we've got the Carson Wentz presser, his first press conference back as an active member of the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's going to be tagged on at the end of the show after the outro. Also, we are going to be doing a preview for the Eagles and the Colts, and we are going to be previewing the Eagles offense against the Colts defense tomorrow. We'll flip it. We'll do the Eagles defense against the Colts offense. Before we get to all of that, we have the injury report that dropped today. We're recording on Wednesday night, so we have Wednesday's practice report. Did not participate for the Eagles Running back Jay Ajayi, running back Darren Sproles, linebackers DJ Alexander and Nate Gary. Limited practice was Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, He likely won't play. Jason Peters is dealing with a quad. He had that injury in practice the week before the Week 2 game and re-aggravated it during the Week 2 game against the Bucs. He is expected to play, according to Doug Peterson. Uh, The injury for the Colts... And whew, she's a long one, Ben. Did yeah. not participate. T.Y. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is fighting a quad injury. Running back Marlon Mack has a foot and hamstring issue. Defensive tackles Danico Autry and Hassan Ridgeway. Uh, they did not participate. Tackle Anthony Costanzo didn't participate. Safety Clayton Gathers didn't participate. Tight end Jack Doyle. He's dealing with a hip. He didn't participate in practice. Corner Quincy Wilson is in the concussion protocol. And also limited were cornerback Chris Milton, who I know nothing about, and guard slash tackle Denzel Good, who I also know nothing about. That's a lot of guys on a team that doesn't have a whole lot of depth. And I, I there are a couple of key players in there. I think uh, Clayton Gathers would be the big one there and Jack Doyle. Uh, Quincy Wilson was out last week, but I thought that uh, Pierre Desir – Pierre Desir? Is that how you say Desir? I, like, usually I know this. Mike, I don't recognize half of the Indianapolis Colts' freaking depth chart. All right? I have no idea <laughs> how this guy's name is said. We're going to call it Pierre Desir. I know he was with the Browns before. He is a real long corner. He came from a small school. I liked him coming into the draft. He was kind of a draft Twitter uh, kind of darling he, from what I found he, out later Is he on. the Lindenwood kid? He is the Lindenwood kid. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's him. I just I just committed like the greatest draft sin of just knowing a guy by his school and then calling him kid, even though he's probably older than me let's be honest um but yeah so the little one get so there's your injury report we're going to keep you updated with these things uh ben does anything stick out for you until we move on to preview in the eagles offense against the colts defense yeah i will say that i think the most uh disruptive interior player for the colts was hassan ridgeway uh, and, and Ridgeway is the guy who's currently dealing with a calf issue. And uh, Danico Autry as well is another depth piece that they have with an ankle problem. Both did not participate. Autry, uh, honestly, if he's on the field, that's probably good news for Philadelphia. If he's off the field, you know, it's, it's, it's really – there's not – Neil doesn't move much when Autry plays. But Ridgeway can be a guy uh, – 
what Matt Laberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Colts, likes to do, especially because he doesn't have great talent on the defensive line is he'll run his defensive linemen at tilt techniques, Mike. And, and we, these tilt techniques that we're talking about, like if you think about Fletcher Cox lining up in the, in the B gap as a three technique between the guard and the tackle, his shoulders are parallel to the line of scrimmage. He's square to the offensive line, right? Because he could certainly be going into that gap, but he could also be, you know, attacking a, a different direction and he could be, uh, you know, closing in on the guard. He could be looping or whatever, but his, 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 Shoulders are square into that gap. That's probably where he's going. Those defensive tackles for the Colts will play tilt techniques where they are, uh, uh, they're not parallel to the line of scrimmage. Rather, they're intersecting that line of their shoulders if you were to draw it forever. They're slightly askew. They're pointed, usually in, inside towards the ball. And what that does is that that creates different and unique runways, uh, that offensive line play and offensive line coordination has more difficulty handling, right? Because now a guy who's lined up as a three-tech has his eyes aimed at where a one-tech would go. So he can yeah. still go to where a three-tech would go, but he's also kind of pointing that way. There's more confusion that's that's offered there. When Ridgeway gets into that tilt technique, especially when he's out of one-tech, when he's inside the center and the guard and that gap and that A-gap, he was very disruptive, I thought, both against uh, the Redskins and against the Bengals. And so to me, if he's missing... Uh, that, that that's 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 a good win for uh, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles interior offensive line. Yeah, and let's transition right into talking about the Eagles offense against this Colts defense. So let's take a look at the offensive line, which I mean, we know who they are. And you're looking at the the defensive line for the Colts. Can they create pressure? Uh, 31% pressure created on Andy Dalton in week one against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, 19.6% on Alex Smith last week against the Washington Redskins. But they did sack Smith three times, one of those being an unblocked blitz from Darius Leonard, the rookie who I'm sure we're going to talk about. They caught Alex Smith looking for a deep shot there, as they did a lot in that game. Uh, he only mm -hmm. threw deep four times for one completion, 34 yards. Uh, he had a lot of time to throw, though. Uh, Jihad Ward got a little bit of heat on the outside. Al Kadin Muhammad. Al Kadin. Al Kadin, whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, I just like I like Al Kadin Muhammad as a player. I hope he sticks there with Indianapolis. Yeah, no, he's exciting. He he was a, a polarizing draft, not not polarizing draft prospect, but he had character issues coming into the draft. So that's why he slipped the way that he did. Kamoko Ture is there from Rutgers. Jabal Sheard. Couldn't get anything uh, going on the outside except for the the one sack there. The front four for me is a better run-stopping unit than they are a pass-rushing unit. They were muscling around Washington a bit in the ground game up front, but but Mixon in the Bengals game was running mm -hmm. all over them. And the Bengals ended up with a 61% success rate on the day with over five yards per carry. Different story again in Washington. Of course, that's still an area I believe that you can test for that team with the ground game and also holding up in pass protection to give Carson Wentz some time. I don't fear this pass rush at all, and I don't think they can be disruptive enough to us to, to slow us down in the ground game. The only thing that's going to slow us down is not having JHI. So Corey Clement's going to have to get an uptick in his workload, and hopefully, you know, if, if we are missing Ajayi, hopefully at least Sproles comes back in that regard, because other than that, we're still dealing with Wendell Smallwood and Josh Adams. Uh, ben, what do you think about line versus line? Where do we, where do we win there? Yeah, we went across the board. Uh, there's not a Colts defensive lineman who I think will regularly beat the Eagles uh, offensive line. Marcus Hunt, probably their best pass rusher, a guy they do well to give outside and inside looks, uh, just given his profile and how he's successful. It makes a lot of sense for him. And like I was saying with those tilts, 
when they rush, it's a, it's very reminiscent of a slanting front that you would see from like a three-man front that, that's two-gapping where you have no idea kind of who's taking what gap at the line. So that stresses communication, which typically is not an issue for Philadelphia's offensive line. Philadelphia at home should be able to pretty comfortably communicate the way we expect this line to. They've been starting together for a long while now. And even if Peters is a no-go or is spotty, again, you know, Big V's obviously been in that line for a long time as well. Uh, You brought up the running game. I do agree. I think that that Colts defensive line is better against the run than they are against the pass. Because when you're pass rushing, you have to penetrate and then finish. And as a defensive line, when you're run defending, you have to penetrate. And if you finish, that's great. But really, the penetration is the main point, right? So yeah. kind of, as long as you're throwing that monkey wrench in there, you're freeing up yeah, Sky Moore and, and Darius Leonard, uh, the rookie linebackers, to really fly down and, and, and attack and play. And that's where Leonard and Moore are going to be successful, Mike. It's these smaller linebackers, both of whom aren't great uh, form tacklers, aren't great uh, tacklers, hitters in space, consistent, you know, targeting the near hip, wrapping a leg. They're not really there. So when you introduce, you know, that chaos and, and, a, and a back's got to stop his feet and he's got to try to redirect and it creates an easier target for Moore and Leonard, they can get there in a hurry. Um, yeah. Mike, listed on the Colts official site, uh, Sky Moore as 230 uh, and Darius Leonard as 234. I would be shocked if either player is heavier than 230. That would, like, I you get the end zone angle of Sky Moore, and his hips look so thin. I have no idea where he would be putting 230 pounds. You know what I mean? These are small, very rangy linebackers. Leonard takes the cake over Moore as of right now in terms of, I think, his instincts, his processing, and his decision-making, but both of them still regularly not only make some bad decisions, try to get themselves into plays that they shouldn't be making, try to attack gaps that they have no business attacking, but also clearly don't have a great feel for how they're being manipulated, especially on pass defense, right? Uh, you know, this secondary is not good, and we'll get to them. A defensive line, not good. We talked about it a little bit. These two young linebackers will make their share of splash plays. And, hey, Leonard put up 18 tackles against the Redskins. All right, there's a lot of good film there in terms of his athletic ability. There's no doubt about it. But right now, as a consistent processor who can remain disciplined against complex offensive attacks, neither Leonard or Moore are there yet. This could be, you know, I remember when, when uh, I think it was Schefter who first said Carson might come back for this game. It was like, oh, this is an easy defense to come back against. We were all like, that's not the reason why he would come back. It's not, you know, they're not trying to like gently bring him back into professional football. But that being said, you you can run a very RPO first read heavy offense against these linebackers and be successful. Yeah, and Sky Borg lost his reps later on in week one. And then it looks like they were starting Anthony Walker, the second-year guy out of Northwestern against the Washington Redskins. Something that drives me crazy is when a team can't decide their prototype at a position. Because yeah, if you look different. at this linebacker room for the Colts, right? So you have Sky Moore, Matthew Adams, and Darius Leonard. Okay, all three of them rookies. All three of them sub-230-pound sort of guys. Uh, Moore and Leonard, nice and long. Adams, not as long, but still that, you know, whatever. That's, that's kind of the mold. But then also they have, they brought in Najee Good from Philly, right? Who is yeah. a Sam linebacker. He is a, a on the scrim, on the line as much as he's off the line, sort of a guy. 
They got Zaire Franklin from Syracuse, who is right. not an athlete. He's a hammerhead. You got Anthony Walker, now second year player at Northwestern, who is an awful athlete. He's just a between the tackles yeah. thumper. And they can't figure out how to get these guys on the field at the same time with continuity, right? Like when it's Moore and, and, uh, Leonard out on the field at the same time, which is the dominant amount of snaps that you see them early in games. You can run the ball straight down their throats. You can yeah. push those guys in the boundary, run constraint plays on them. They can't handle it, right? The moment you start getting Walker in there, just start running underneath coverage routes because Walker can't athletically handle them. He's a smart cookie, Walker, as he always has been. He was smart at Northwestern, but he can't deal with it. So you, you, there's no, you're at two opposite poles as far as builds and, and designs of linebacker. And it's very difficult to get those players on the field at the same time and work in harmony. It's very hard. So like I look at this linebacker room and I go like, it's a rock and a hard place. And same thing with, uh, like you said, in coverage, Zaire Franklin, who is the guy that they tend to bring in when they go uh, base, when they go with three linebackers and you're like, this guy, I don't know if he can cover anybody. So tight ends like Zacherts, you get Dallas Goddard going against him possibly. Uh, the Colts do like to do a lot of different coverages, bring in like big dime with three safeties and whatnot. And we'll get to that when we talk about the safeties, but uh, let, let, let's talk, let's talk about the, uh, the coverage scheme for the Indianapolis Colts, what we can expect as viewers of this game from a scheme perspective, you're looking at a too high team with a lot of cover two. They will roll down and do some cover three and some other zone stuff mm -hmm. and whatnot. But I mean, like I told you before the show, I started charting how many times they had too high safety looks pre-snap and I just stopped after 20 snaps because I saw exactly what I needed to see. The dudes playing back there are Clayton Gathers, who was on the injury report, and Malik Hooker, who is coming back from an ACL tear from last year, which I love Hooker. And then you'll see them occasionally throw in like that the the big dime package for third downs is almost exclusively, in fact, only exclusively that I've seen so far because I've been charting this thing on third downs with Matthias Farley in there from Notre Dame. And from there, you might see them double mug the A gap and bring pressure from different places along the front. Uh, it was pretty effective for them against the Bengals. And obviously, they had a good day stifling everything that the Redskins had going on. And you look at the Redskins game. The plan was simple. Soft shell taco, come and swarm. Yes. That was it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Swarm the front. Well, the front listen, doors when you have six corners rostered and not a single one of them can co cover a wide receiver, you, you right. have one option. How, how, and the Redskins came in and thought that they were going to just take vertical shots all day because these corners aren't good. Mm -hmm. And the Colts were like, well, we're just going to play a bunch of deep coverage and then let Darius Leonard fly around in front to whoever you check it down to. Chris Thompson ended up with like 13 catches, 14 targets and whatnot. Like that's how Darius Leonard got 18 catches. They were all on those checkdowns because they're looking downfield. And Jay Gruden said it in the press conference afterwards. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we had a, we had a vertical game plan going on and they were in soft shell. And yeah. the, the way you attack that is to stretch it horizontally and hit more quick hitting concepts. Smith did get screwed a little bit by his receivers. Doxson dropped a beautiful oh, yeah. deep that ball was a great on the boundary. No, and, and when when Smith takes his moments, you got to capitalize. But yeah. Mike, the fact that Quincy Wilson can't break like the true starting rotation in this cornerback room is as big of an indictment on a second year player I think I've ever seen in my entire life. He's losing reps to Kenny Moore and Nate Hairston. And for you listeners who are like, well, I wonder who Kenny Moore and Nate Harrison are. So do I. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to know who these freaking people are. Listen, game one, they started Moore and Harrison. I mean, so they'll they'll bring him in. And it's really funny, Mike, because like you said, they rotate to cover three sometimes. And do you want me to tell you how you know they're going to rotate to cover three? 
if Quincy Wilson down. is outside <laughs> on one of the boundaries and Nate Hairston, all 190 pounds of him, is on the other boundary, let me tell you what's about to happen. Wilson's about to drop into a deep third, which is the defensive scheme that has always made sense for him, that is not getting played in Indy, which sucks for him. And Hairston, who cannot handle a deep third, is going to squat into a flat. Yeah. Maybe I missed a rep or two where that didn't happen, but pretty much every time I got that key, yeah, they were rotating into a, into a, a middle-of-the-field closed sort of a shell. Now, Aberflus will put Clayton Gethers, 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 Gethers. He'll put him high and bring Hooker down, and I want to kill him. He'll blitz Hooker on passing downs, and I want to make a citizen's arrest. Are you kidding me? Listen, we were deprived of healthy Malik Hooker in his rookie season, 2017. You need to let him play single high. Again, so this is – it's very difficult because Aberflus is is a new new coordinator, and this secondary is built for cover three, and he won't play it. I have it right here in my notes. It's highlighted in yellow. And what it says is hooker dash, obviously the centerpiece of this defense dash, weird to see so much too high with him dash, most envisioned him as a core of a cover three defense. That's what he was. It was range, range, range for him coming out. He was the prototype cover three safety. You're running cover two. You have him rid half field and you're blitzing him. It's wild. And when he gets to do single high stuff and he gets to roam, it's awesome. And you have to watch the tape and think to yourself, oh, we got to find a way to get this guy in there. And then if you're running more cover three, you can get Quincy out on the field and you got to get Quincy out into the field simply because you put a high second into that player. He's a high upside pick. And yes, probably Nate Hairston is a better flat defender right now than Quincy Wilson. But Hairston is a low ceiling player. When he was coming out of Temple, he was a low ceiling player. Listen, Get Wilson out there. Freaking play Kenny Moore in a deep third. I don't care. It's not like you're going to lose any more games than you would have anyway, Colts. Like, you know, you're, you're, you are a rebuilding team. You got to figure this out. And so what, like, if we look at this defense at, from a gestalt, like at the, the, you know, with its entirety, they're pretty predictable on the back end and their personnel is, is poorly deployed and they're just poorly manned in general. They have youth at all three levels and they can't really generate a pass rush with four. Yeah. Like, you know, like what is redeeming about this defense? A defense that held like a Washington offense that has some good weapons to nine points. They're very, very fast. This is one of the smallest defenses in the league, I would imagine, just by like height, weight, and they can fly all over the place, right? And they tackle extremely well. Right, 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 right. That's, 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 that's a very good point. That's the natural two of the one-two punch. They can fly around the field and they can get you down. They can they can yeah. gang tackle and that's great. And, you know, a, a young defense will be that way. They'll be hungry. Uh, so, you know, Philly offense kind of needs those constraint plays, needs those quick plays to the boundary. You know, Doug ran a lot of screens against Tampa. If he doesn't have Sproles and Ajayi, he's got to do it again. You, you need yeah. to be able to run those plays simply because those constraint plays condition the defense in and obviously there's a conversation about it does running the ball really make play action more effective well just if we you know like putting that argument off to the side coaches understand their play calling in terms of constraint plays and counters like that's that is a very common theory of play calling and so it's very difficult for a play caller to go immediately to his counters without running his constraints he feels you know dedicated to that that's that's inherent that's that's emotional and so you know doug's gonna run his constraint plays let's just accept that as reality you can 
get to the boundary on these guys, especially when you start with reduced splits, Mike. Because when yeah. when you're playing a cover two shell and you reduce the splits, you bring the outside wide receivers really in, you go nasty, you go tight up to the tackles. Those cover two corners have to back up off the line of scrimmage because they have to be able to drive down into the flats on quick releases. And so you're giving up a lot of easy room there to the boundary, especially. And Philly can do this really well. They've been pin-pulling all year long, Mike. Instead of running traditional outside zone, they pin-pull, they pin-pull, they pin-pull. They, they, pull as many, they pull Kelsey, they pull Brooks. If you can get blockers out there and you're forcing a corner to become a force defender and take on a 300-pound offensive lineman, that is a plus situation for your offense every time. So expect to see a lot of, in my opinion, tighter formations. Hey, this would be a good game for 13 personnel, man. Like, this would be a good game to, like, get some big wide receiver, Josh Perkins, Dallas Goddard's in there. That would make sense to me. Whatever. If it doesn't happen, fine. You get those tight formations, and then you try to attack to the boundary outside with speed. You run those little, uh, uh, you know, quick tunnel screens that you see where the offensive line releases, and you attack that quick space. That's something I expect to see a lot of on Sunday. I'm glad you brought up a lot of those things because the way that that I imagined them attacking them was I was going to ask you if you would use screens. Obviously, I agree. You stretch mm-hmm. them horizontally. Yes, absolutely. If they're going to play that deep soft shell, then then do that instead of waiting for the throw that's going to be, you know, have a ton of guys around it down the field. The other one that I liked, and I don't know if you saw this one, it was the Bengals game. They had a 29-yard completion to Tyler Eifert along the right sideline. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they had a man lined up across from Harrison, and he did that orbit action, that motion around the running back, which I see as either jet or orbit with Nelson Aguilar, and you can hand it off to him too because there was a reverse that the Redskins did on them that worked as well. That was first snap of the game. Gruden knew exactly. exactly what he was doing. Gruden said, I'm going to go nasty and I'm going to run a quick reverse and your corners aren't going to be in position to defend this. Yep. So you got that going. So they motion him, they orbit him. And then what they had was they had a vertical route from the wide receiver and Hairston sees this vertical route, thinks he's got nothing else to, to check him into the flats. So he starts to carry it because you can carry 15 yards if you're in that zone, if you've got no other threat, that's the rule. So then you leak out that vertical, that that wheel from from Eifert Right on the sidelines, it was wide open. So you could do stuff like that. Run that orbit, run that jet sweep, run those screens, attack horizontally, and then try to put Harrison in a situation where he's got to make a decision or give him some eye candy to get him off the spot and expose that zone from those nasty splits, those tight splits that you mentioned. That's exactly how I'm attacking this defense. And listen, and, 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 you know, that there was the, you know, you can solve that problem that Eifert play because you ended up with two cover men Hooker and Hairston on one guy with Eifert releasing free you can solve that problem by communicating you can adjust to that on the fly here's the thing one year ago Nate Hairston was the cornerback four in a Ted Monacino defense that ran a lot of cover three uh, and Hooker was on the bench icing up Right. And so all of a sudden you have two second year players still young, learning their second system in two years who haven't played together. Hairston's just getting starting reps. Hooker's just back in the lineup. This Colts defense is fresh meat. Yeah. At all three levels. Should we expect rust from Carson? Yes. Should we expect a dumb interception or two from Carson? Absolutely. Yes. Should we expect this Eagles offense to look like much more the well oiled machine? You know, the, uh, Slice them and dice them, pick your poison, just very free-ranging, sort of always one step ahead. Uh, from the play-calling perspective, from the personnel perspective, 
I think so. I firmly think that they should. If, if Carson's having trouble executing, okay, it's first game back, whatever, you know, it's fine. I think from a an X's and O's standpoint, you should be outclassing them. And then yeah. on top of that, you should have the players win one-on-one matchups. So it, it yeah. should be from a holistic perspective, you know, all Eagles all day long. Yeah, you're attacking a static, boring defense that can't do a whole lot because there's so much youth and there's not a whole lot of talent. You know, we talked about Malik Hooker and Darius Leonard. Outside of that, those guys are struggling. And the Redskins struggles, they didn't show up. That was on them. They had the mm-hmm. wrong game plan. I do not expect that from Doug Peterson. Ben, before we go to the Carson Wentz press conference here, do you have any final thoughts? Because, I mean, this defense is so straightforward to me. I think we really cover There's no other exotic type stuff that they're going to throw out there. They're going to throw the big dime out there when it's third down right. and bring three safeties on the field. But mm-hmm. that's other than that, they're not bringing exotic blitzes. They're not doing a whole lot for me. Is there anything else you want to relate to the gentle listeners, something to look for? I made a mistake. I got cocky uh, against Tampa, a game that we lost, and a game of that Tampa defense showed up better than I thought they would. Last year when we would do these previews, I would always remember to say, listen, if this defense beats us, this will be how I think they do it. So I had my yeah. little caveat, right, my little hedging of my bet. So I'm going back to that. Nice. If that Colts defense causes us issues – it will be because the slanting of the front four and the variety of players that the Colts can get on that front four, the variety of body types and and strengths as pass rushers. Like we're talking about, you know, a defensive tackle room that has to it, you know, Jihad Ward is now all of a sudden the third three tech list on the depth chart. He was like just picked up last week. So we haven't seen him at all. Marcus Hunt, they've got Grover Stewart, Al Woods. Uh, I don't hate Al Woods. He's, he's looked pretty decent for them. And then, like I said, Ridgeway and Autry, if they're healthy, and then go to the outside and you have Jabal Sheard and Kamoko Toure and Terrell Basham and Al-Kadeen Muhammad. Or, I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that those players win, right? Toure is so fast and so explosive over the edge. Sheard is a great technician who can bend. And Basham is an inside-out sort of a guy who's got a lot of moves yeah. to him. And Al-Kadeen Muhammad brings some good power. Like there's, there's, there's a lot that you can get uh, different levels. And so if that defensive line with the, the, the tilting of the techniques, with the double uh, A-gap look, uh, the, the two one techniques from the defensive tackles, if those cause problems, because they are exotic, you don't see them as much at the NFL level, they're not as common, then you've got uh, pressure disruption with a newly rehabbed young quarterback who hasn't faced pressure in a long time, who you can force into some mistakes. Uh, and I think those plays will turn into turnovers. Uh, and that that's how I foresee the Colts defense being successful. It's got to be uh, that defensive line. I think that that is the unit with the most talent, and that is the unit that has the ability to impact the game the most. And if you're worried about the Colts knowing the Eagles calls and, and all that stuff, because Frank Wright came from there, uh, Jason Kelsey sure isn't because he said that he wasn't. He said they can – the guy right across from me can know the play. And as long as he doesn't get some cheat, like like jump in the snap count or whatever, I'm just going to execute on him. So that's what the Eagles need to do. They're a much more talented team, even though they're depleted at wide receiver and at running back. They've got their quarterback back. Their offensive line should be winning all over the place. There shouldn't be issues. This coaching staff should be able to take care of business against against this defense. We'll see. We've been surprised before. We've been wrong before. Right. Hopefully that's not the case. You know, there was the question like, should this should we be like questioning slash panicking about the Eagles offense uh, after the loss to Tampa? And the answer, I think, from us and from BGN Radio as a whole was resounding no. If there are struggles against this indie team, we have to have a second longer look. But if this Eagles offense does struggle, 
it will likely be as a result of Carson Rust, in which case, you know, they still get a couple weeks to get their sea legs under them. All right, Ben. I think that does it for us. Is there anything else you have for the gentle listeners? Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. How about that? Well, howdy there, gentle listeners. How y'all doing? <laughs> Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the Kist and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you coming by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been on Twitter. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Coming up tomorrow, Eagles defense, Colts offense. Talking about Frank Reich throwing a, a few twists and turns into the uh, the Eagles scheme, but widely a lot of familiar stuff. It will be very interesting to see what that matchup looks like. Kind of a, a doppelganger bit of a matchup there. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Eagles mailbag up tomorrow for me on Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, All-22 breakdown of the Tampa game up for me tomorrow on Bleeding Green Nation. Mike, what do you have going on uh, the main site, my man? I'm going to be dropping a piece on what to expect from the Colts offense, we'll go through some different concepts and whatnot, and then we're going to talk about them on this show. So you're going to get the best of both worlds. I'm going to give you a visual aid for the audio podcast. Wow. That was so cute. That sounds like it's <laughs> going to be great. As always, leave those five-star ratings and reviews. We do appreciate them oh so very much. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you guys tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Check my shirt. Fly, Eagles, fly. excitement Sunday uh, obviously it's something you've been waiting for a long time I mean I think it's the same way I temper excitement you know going back to my first start in college uh, my junior year uh, my first start in the league against Cleveland you know a couple years ago I think this it's the same kind of approach obviously I'm gonna have a lot of excitement and um, everything but once we get playing it'll just be football again you were told after rehabbing you going through this for nine months what was your reaction I mean obviously I was excited you know it's been a long time coming it's been uh, quite the grind of an off season, and uh, just throughout all of this, a lot of the unknown of, of when and all those things. I know you guys were dying to know. I was dying to know a lot at the same time. You know, so it was a lot of uh, a lot of excitement, um, a lot of built up, almost anxiety over when and when was going to be that time. So uh, almost almost relieved to finally you know be cleared and get back out what there. What was your reaction when you were told before the start of the season that you would not play? Yeah, obviously you're frustrated. I mean, I was frustrated just. Um, in the sense of, you know, not add anybody, just that I wasn't going to be out there. You know, anytime you miss a game, it's, uh, it's, it's not enjoyable. You know, I've been doing it all last year, those last, I think, six games, and uh, was my goal was week one and just came up a little short. But, um, you know, I knew the, the medical staff and um, the trainers and really everybody involved, coaches, uh, put, a, put a good plan together, and, you know, I, I trusted what, uh, what they had to say. So what you able to think you could have played uh, week one, you know, if it were up to you? I mean, I know you yeah, I mean, obviously I wanted to. Physically, I, I felt good. I felt good. I feel about the same where I'm at. But at the end of the day, it comes to, comes down to what the what the research says, what the doctors are saying, um, and, and this was the best the best situation. Yeah, I mean, obviously with Jordan, um, feel good with him. Um, he was gone only only one season. You know, he was here last training camp even. So I uh, still, you know, he's he's picking up on things pretty quick already. So. Uh, we'll see as the week progresses how he looks and how he fits in and everything. But I feel I feel comfortable with him and really everybody else. You talked about recently that, that feeling of when you got hurt and how smoothly things were going, how things were, were flowing. Do you expect that it's going to be close to that? And if it's not, do you have to kind of tell yourself it's going to take a while? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I and really the whole offense, this whole organization, always has high expectations. You know, we expect to go out and start fast, play fast, be clicking. 
Um, and so I, I truly believe that's a realistic expectation. Now, uh, that's just football. You know, it's not always like that. So, so those things come, and you got to learn how to how to balance those ebbs and flows of the game and everything. But uh, you know, I think we all hold ourselves to high expectations around here. Studying the offense and, and the little bit stuff. Were you able to spend as much time doing that this offseason with your rehab? Without a doubt. You know, unfortunately, I had to be here. Uh, you know, be in the building all all the time through the off season. So uh, I made the most of that for sure, and then really just studied the offense, studied uh, what we did last year schematically, myself where I could improve, um, and that's something I'll always do, whether I'm hurt or not. Um, just to always find a way to get better. You get that there. Will there be anything in your mechanics or anything in your game that will tell you where you are in terms of where you want to be? Um, not really sure how to, how to answer that. I mean, I'll, I know once I'm out there, I'll feel good. You know, I feel good in practice. I realize live action's going to feel a little different, but, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough last couple of weeks going against the, the defense, you know, as a scout quarterback. So obviously they play extremely fast. So, uh, you know, just seeing those things and the more experience out there, the, the better. But I think it'll come second nature once I'm out there. Ramp up the part of your game. You had worked on a little bit of protecting yourself. You know, about throwing the ball away. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that's something. Obviously, the injury is going to now magnify that that type of protecting myself. But that's something uh, my whole career, you know, even before the injury, I was always just harping on finding a way to keep protecting myself, when to when to extend the play. You know, sometimes I feel like I sound like a broken record because we're always learning. Um, and that's something I'll always just keep looking at. Where are you with the brace as far as how you feel? Is, is it second nature already or is it, you know? I mean, I feel comfortable with it. You know, I... We'll see after this season and everything how I feel with it, but I feel good with it right now. Um, you know, it's it's definitely something the doctors recommend, and so uh, I've gotten used to it by now and feel really comfortable with it. In your mind, what would make this Sunday, this first game back, a success? Obviously, we want to go out there and win. You know, the goal is to win, and uh, we got a good opponent coming in. We were fortunate enough to play at home. You know, I love playing at home. I know that place is going to be rocking. Uh, on Sunday, so obviously the, the goal is to go one and zero this week. Was this was this harder mentally or physically? This whole process. It was both. I mean, without a doubt, it's both. I mean, physically, uh, I mean, it's it's a grind. It's a grind. I mean, from the workouts early uh, in the mornings through the off season, all the way through, and then mentally, it gets long. You know, it gets long. A nine month rehab. I've never gone through anything quite like that. You know, I've had a little injuries here and there, but nothing of, of this extent. And so it was definitely uh, mentally taxing for sure. So definitely both. We always hear that guys, when they're away for an extended period of time, get a different perspective on the game. Has that been the case for you? And can that help you? Without a doubt. You know, you see things. Uh, I know last year, uh, once I did get hurt and then throwing the headset on, and uh, you almost see things as a coach. You almost see things um, from a different perspective. But then also uh, to not take it for granted. You know, I think once you get caught up in the middle of the season, you're just going through it. Uh, you can take, you know, the opportunities for granted. And that's something um, that I, I will always remind everybody, myself included, to just never take a play for granted, never take a game for granted, because you never know when it's going to be your last. Who told you initially that you were clear for contact? When and how did, how did it happen? Yeah, I mean, it was a group a group decision. I mean, over the weekend, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of dialogue between really the doctors, coaches, myself. Um, and so when it was finally official on Monday, you know, I think we kind of expected it after the weekend conversations. Did you yourself any moment to celebrate? Um, not, not really. There ain't a lot of time uh, for that. It was just really full speed ahead. Um, I mean, and, and in some sense, similar to my rookie year, you know, being out those couple weeks of training camp and then finding out eight days before, it was just kind of like that in the sense of full speed ahead. 
uh, we got work to do, and uh, you know the goal is to win on Sunday. Put the injury aside, Carson. It's, it's year three for you. What's the next step in your development? What would you like to improve this year? Yeah, I mean, I think just to, to a pick up where we left off as an offense. You know, we had a lot of big plays last year. We were um, in situational football, third down, red zone. Uh, those things we were really uh, excelled in last year, and those are things we want to just keep building on. Uh, I know personally, those things, you know, the same things. Just the situational football, is something we've always harped. Uh, around here, and that's something I'll continually be hard on myself. Um, and then, like we talked about, protecting myself, knowing uh, when, and um, just just keep finding completion. Are you anxious to handle the edge, Am I anxious? Find out what it's like to get the I don't think so. I think I think it's always, you know, no matter injury or not, the first hit of the season is always like oh, a good wake-up call. You know, last year it happened in preseason, and it's just always uh, just a good wake-up call to remind yourself you're playing a man's game out there. How's your arm stronger? There's been talk about, you know, your upper body being, you know, stronger because you were in the weight room and rehabbing. Are, are you throwing the ball further? And, and yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I feel good. I'll tell you that. I feel, I feel like I've really dedicated myself in the off season, you know, through this injury to make sure that when I came back that I was still the same functionally throwing the football and uh, took some some active measures to to make sure that was the case. And, and I feel good where I'm at. Talk about the the approach to this game and all the hard work you put in and the anticipation everywhere leading up to this. And you alluded to it. That place is going to go berserk when they see you run up in the field. So, how do you deal with that? Or could it be a positive in a way? I mean, it's it's positive. I mean, playing at home is always positive. You know, I'm definitely going to cherish you know running out of that tunnel. I'm going to cherish um, the time just finally being back out there with the guys after missing these games and. Uh, the long rehab, everything, you know, like like you kind of said, there's going to be a lot of emotions going on. Uh, but once the game starts, it's just football again. How did you handle the, uh, the transitioning back with, with Nick? I mean, obviously this was expected, yeah. but it uh, can't be easy to, to give up the rehab. Yeah, I mean, obviously um, for really everybody involved outside looking in, it's it's an interesting dynamic. You know, anytime uh, something like that happens, and, and obviously Nick with the success he had, Super Bowl MVP, uh, I think, you know, we as an organization, and myself included, we owe him a lot. You know, he did some amazing things. Um, and so handling the transition um, from the outside looking in, might you might think it would be hard, it might be tough. But uh, with Nick and my relationship, you know, I've stressed it throughout the offseason. Uh, we're so close. You know, first and foremost, we're brothers in Christ. So we realize there's a bigger picture. We realize there's a lot more to it. And, and we don't know what, what next season is going to look like for, for really any of us. But for right now, we're going to enjoy what we have together and just keep uh, lifting each other up. Yeah, I mean, again, it was kind of something that everyone knew the situation. You know, everyone knew uh, I was going to be close to, to week one. And, you know, if not, it would be, you know, sometime soon. Um, and so I think the transition was pretty smooth and uh, we all knew it was coming. How, how's your, how's your, if you were cleared and you were going to return, who was the first person you called and, and why? Um, I think I shot a text to my wife right away. And uh, again, we kind of had had feelings, you know, last couple of weeks. We knew we were close. We knew we were close. So I wouldn't say it was a huge um, excitement level in the sense of we kind of saw it coming. Um, but at the same time, it just felt good to finally uh, finally, you know, be confirmed to be good to go and uh, told my wife right away. How's your, how's your relationship with Doug either different or strengthened after kind of going through this process? Yeah, I think, I mean, through the process, um, it's hard to say that this process built our relationship, but um, really every every offseason being here is just another uh, opportunity to build our, our trust in each other and our, our communication, both uh, obviously talking football, but we talk about all sorts of stuff, family stuff, life, hunting, you name it. 
Uh, and I just have a lot of respect for that guy. And then football-wise, I mean, we've just continually built that trust in each other, and, and he has great ideas, and I'll add some ideas here and there, and I think we work really well together. Frank? Uh, Frank's awesome. You know, I loved Frank when he, when he left. Uh, I was, you know, sad to see him go, but excited for him. You know, I know uh, I just love what he's about. I love what he stands for. Um, and I think they, they got a great coach in Indianapolis. So talk about uh, a little bit of your competitiveness and how you you were pushing the envelope in your rehab and then wanting to be back by week one. Was he was he kind of like a middleman in terms of like keeping you and you know keeping you relaxed and also at the same time you know, fighting that? Yeah, I mean, fighting I, your competitive. I think you know Doug was saying that the doctors were saying that everyone was saying that. I mean, I pushed the envelope where I could. You know, if the doctors told me not to do something. I respected that and knew that they had my best interest in mind. Um, and so, obviously, there was, there was tougher days where I wanted to push a little more. And uh, that's just part of it, though. But at the end of the day, you know, I really trusted the docs, the trainers, Doug, really everyone in the organization that they had my best interest. You go back to college, the injury there. Obviously, this was much more serious. But did that give you sort of a, a template to get through this as far as Stepping back and then stepping forward again. Yeah, I mean it definitely did. You know, you never want to go through an injury, but um, dealing with it in college, shoot, I even you know had some little things in high school. You, you, whether you miss a game or however much uh, time you miss, it just lets you step back and kind of see the bigger, uh, the bigger picture. And uh, I think you really find out a lot about a person in times of adversity. So I think you really just look yourself in the mirror and say, uh, how am I going to handle this? And I just I try to attack everything head on and uh, come back stronger for it. Based around athleticism and making plays with your legs, how confident are you to still do that? I feel very confident. You know, I feel feel extremely uh, confident. You know, moving around um, on the run. You know, I, I even last year I never said I'm a I'm a running quarterback. I never want to be, but I'll you know find ways to extend extend time in the pocket and make plays down the field. And I don't think that's going anywhere. Thanks, guys. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.